Okay, now as we come to church week by week, and as we hear God's word proclaimed, uh, there are a few subjects, I think, that if we're honest, make us squirm a little bit in our seats. There's a few subjects that a minister can turn to and arrive at, works through scripture. A few subjects that can make us feel a little bit awkward, uh, a little bit uncomfortable. I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about. Let's say, for example, uh, we look at the reality of hell, or we look at the reality of God's judgment. We can sit kind of uneasy sometimes. We're looking awkwardly at the floor uh, during uh, the sermon. I'm sure we can relate to these things. Well, you're ready for the bad news. I'm supposed to be a minister of the good news. Here's the bad news. The bad news is that this morning we're going to consider what is perhaps one of the most unwelcome subjects of them all. One of the most awkward and unwelcome subjects. Because as we continue our sermon series looking at the the Reformed Church and now the practice of the Reformed Church this morning, we're going to think about financial giving amongst Christians. Financial giving. We're going to consider what it is that God wants to see from his people in regard to the stewardship of financial and material resources. I'm right already. People are squirming, aren't they? Financial giving amongst believers, amongst Christians. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this subject under a number of headings, each beginning with the letter P to keep things regular and straightforward. The first heading is this, the problem of giving. The problem of giving. Now if you're ready, tell you what, let's begin it controversially and then let's try and pull it back from there. So let's uh, begin with a controversial statement and then try and dig our way out of the hole that I dig for us here. Here's the controversial statement. Friends, the present pattern of financial giving amongst Christians in the West is a scandal and dishonoring to God. The present pattern of financial giving amongst Christians in the West is a is scandalous and it is dishonoring to God. Those are hard words. Is there any evidence to back up such a a statement? Well, here let me try and raise up uh, a couple of uh, things for your consideration. First is this, and think about this, that Christians today in the West, they, we, live in a time of unprecedented affluence. We live in a time of unprecedented affluence. That's right, isn't it? I mean, you just have to look around London. Like, we live, <laughs> we live in a time when even the kings of previous generations, like even princes of yesteryear, would look on at our standard of living 
And they would just marvel. Their breath would be taken. Like Christians today, we are living in unprecedented. We are very, 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 very wealthy. High standard of living here in the West, and especially in a city like London. There's the first thing. Affluence. Ready for the second thing? I'll let the recently deceased uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul, the theologian, do our talking for us here. He says this. Unlike in previous generations, today, virtually every single Christian ministry that he was aware of is hurting for a lack of funds. Every single Christian ministry that he was aware of hurting for a lack of funds. And I think, as I look at you as a congregation We know that to be true for our own situation. Tie it down to what we know. Listen, our seminary, everyone knows what the seminary is, don't we? The the very place where we try and train ministers. It lives under this perpetual threat of closure. We can't train our ministers. Why? Because of a lack of financial support from Christians. Our denomination, wait, it gets worse, our denomination... Until very recently, it had to stop any new work. So imagine that, the Free Church of Scotland, unable to embark on any new church planting endeavour until recently. Why, do you think? Did we not have the men? We had the men. Did we not have the need? We had the need. Why couldn't we do it? Because of a lack of financial support from Christians. Our congregation in London... With this vision to reach this godless city and enthused to do it and unable to put our plans into action properly. Why? Because of a lack of financial resources. Maybe now actually doesn't seem that controversial, does it? Doesn't seem that controversial. If on one side there is this material affluence amongst Christians in the West, and on the other hand, there are all these ministries that are suffering, what must be true? The present pattern of financial giving amongst Christians in the West, what must it be? A scandal and dishonoring to our God. Okay. In the words of Radiohead, where do we go from here? Okay, well, at this point, let me suggest a couple of reasons why it is that we might, as a church in the West, why we might have got into such a, a, a mess with these things. Okay, a couple of reasons. First is this part of the problem. Wouldn't you agree it's a lack of biblical teaching when it comes to Christian finance? Would you agree with that? A lack of biblical teaching on finance. But if you agree and you're feeling a little bit generous this morning, maybe you see why that is. Do you see the problem? I, I firmly believe it is more difficult to talk about Christian finance in the church than, than at perhaps any other time in church history. Because we live in a time where charlatans abound in the church, don't we? We live in an era of prosperity gospel. 
We live in a time where there's so many tele-evangelists and bright, sharp-looking preachers, and they're all trying to con people out of their hard-earned cash. They're trying to scam people in unbiblical and immoral ways. And what's the truth? We do not want to be associated with that. Like, if you're visiting LCPC this morning, be assured, we don't want your money. We want you to see Jesus. We don't want to be associated with the prosperity gospel in any way, shape, or form. So you see the temptation for a minister or a preacher. The temptation is to step back and not speak about finance at all. But then the other thing is that when we do discuss and talk about finance, I think there's a misunderstanding we make all the time. Now you correct me if I'm wrong about this, not just now, please, after the service, correct me if I'm wrong. You see, when, when we begin to talk about Christian finance, I think there's one word that comes to your mind, isn't there? Come on, there is. For most of us, one word. We think the word tithing, don't we? Like most of us here, if we've got a Christian background, when we hear about Christian finance, given to the church, we think, oh yeah, that's that, I remember that. I've heard a sermon on that. And the, 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 yeah, we were to give one tenth, yes, a tenth of our earnings, and we're supposed to give that uh, to, to the church. The idea of tithing, right? Listen, please, that is not right. Did you hear your minister there? The, the idea that you and I as Christians are to give sort of regimentally, legalistically a tenth of our earnings to the church, that is not the biblical model of giving. I mean, that was the, that was the pattern established by God under the old covenant. That's what existed in the Old Testament, that things have changed in the new covenant. That is not the pattern that is anticipated and expected amongst us as New Testament Christians. It's not the model. And so what happens? Either because of ignorance or because of misunderstandings, the church, we get into this mess, we miss the mark, we don't give as we should, and what is the outcome, friends? The work of the gospel worldwide, it suffers. We have a problem, and it is the problem of giving. Okay, second P in the second heading. P, the principles of giving. The principles of giving. Okay, so you're with me thus far, friends. You are, aren't you? Uh, maybe surprisingly to some, I'm saying that strict tithing is not the biblical model. Okay, so that begs a question in your mind, does it? The question that we ask then is, well, what is expected of us? In the New Testament church, how are we supposed to give if it's not tithing? What, what, what goes on? Well, you know as well as I do that there is so much written in the New Testament and in the Bible about financial giving and giving to the Lord. There's loads of it, okay? There's no way that we could possibly cover all of this this morning, right? So instead of that, this is how we're going to play it. What I want to do is just lay before you, Christian friend, some principles. And these are principles that the Lord God himself has given, not in an abstract way, he gives them to you in his word. 
principles that are supposed to impact your life and supposed to shape your giving. And there are four of these principles. And the boys and girls and the children of this congregation are going to have to listen to your minister. Because if you're doing the worksheet, there are spaces for all of these principles. You see how I've tricked you into listening. That was sneaky, wasn't it? And maybe, even to get parents to listen, the parents can help the boys and girls to try and get the blanks. Okay, so you see it? Principles that are supposed to... How are we supposed to give, friends, as New Testament Christians? How are we supposed to give? First is this. You and I are encouraged by God to give generously. Have a look at Scripture with me. Would you turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8? That first reading, just have a look there. Page 967, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. What do you see as you look down at the start of the chapter? 2 Corinthians 8. What you've got, of course, is the Apostle Paul. He's writing, he's writing to whom? He's writing to a congregation in Corinth. He is writing at the beginning there. Did you notice it? He's writing about... They are fellow Macedonian believers in the first century. Look at verse 4. <laughs> what does he say about these Macedonian believers? That they pleaded with the apostle about something. Doesn't it, come on, doesn't it take your breath away a little bit? What did they, what, what did they beg Paul for? They beg him for the opportunity to give financially to the work of the church. It's marvelous. Please, Paul, please let us give money to the work of the church, okay? Now, that's amazing. Agree? Yes. It gets better because look at verse 2. How did they give? Isn't that amazing? They gave from extreme poverty. They're not billionaires. They're they're poor, they're impoverished. Verse 3, look at this. They gave even beyond their means. Now, I, I'm sure you're, you're with me just now, aren't you? You say, this is marvelous, isn't it? Given as impoverished, impoverished believers begging for the opportunity to give. My question to you is this. Why does Paul write about them? Why does he write this? You see it, don't you? What's he doing? He's holding that up as an example, not just to the Corinthians. He's holding that up as an example to you and to me. Do you see it? What does God want from us as a New Testament church? Does he want legalistic regimental tithing? No, what's the example? It's an example of sacrificial generosity. God and to his people. Like God wants us, first of all, to understand, you see, the wealth that you have, the stuff that you have, does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord God of heaven and earth. And he then wants us, out of gratitude for that cross, to give cheerfully, you know, to give voluntarily, willingly, and to give abundantly to the work of the gospel throughout the world. Do you see the principle? Do you see how it's rooted in Scripture? We are to give generously. Then, come on, second one. We are to give proportionately as well. 
Uh, parents, you'll have to help the children perhaps spell proportionately. But we can get there, I'm sure. We are to give proportionately. There is a little phrase in this section which I think we could easily have missed, easily skimmed over, that's ever so important. Can I draw your attention to it, friends? If you look at verse 12, see if you can find it there. Chapter 8, verse 12. Yeah, it's over the page. Verse 12. Now Paul says this. Again, the whole thing's about financial giving. He says, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has. And then this is the phrase. Not according to what that person does not have. Now that's something that Paul will say quite a few times in the epistles. But I wonder if you see what he is saying there. What pleases God? Balanced giving pleases God. God desires to see us give from our own situation. Listen to me, please. Ours is a God who does not demand that we give what we cannot afford. That is alien to the heart of our God. But God is a God who desires that we give according to our means. Now, did you hear me, friends? God does not demand that we give what we can't afford. But he does desire that we give according to our standard of living, according to our means. And I think that should be ever so challenging to us in this room just now. Because how about we look around you? We are not a group of first century Palestinian farmers who are struggling to make ends meet, are we? We're not a group of uh, Indian Christians at the lowest caste of a cultural system. Look at us. We are a group of Christians living in one of the wealthiest cities there has ever been on the face of this earth. Like if we are to give according to our standard of living, if we are to give proportionately and according to our means, I firmly believe as your pastor that LCPC should be at the forefront of Christian giving worldwide. So we give generously. We give proportionately. The third one is we give anonymously. So the boys and girls got it? Anonymously. Okay, now, do any of your non-Christian friends give money to charity? Your non-Christian family members, do they ever do that? Or your colleagues? Do they ever give money to charity? My friends do. And I get to hear all about it when they do. Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. Always happens at Christmas time. Always happens at Christmas time. And they'll give a little bit of money to charity. And then what do they do? They post about it on Facebook. <laughs> they do. So this little message will appear on my wife's Facebook page. And I'll say, so-and-so has given money to charity. Would you like to do the same? And it's kind of all in the name of trying to prompt other people to give to charity. But I'm no fool. I know what it really is. My friends want everyone to know that they have given money to charity. Now, I have nothing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing against that. It's a wonderful thing that they want to give to charity. My question, though, is this. Is that the atmosphere? Is that the sort of action that God wants to see from you and from me as Christians? Let me read this to you. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ says to you from Matthew chapter 6. Listen to the first word. Beware 
of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And then the Lord Jesus says to us this, when you give, sound no trumpet. When you give, sound no trumpet. Now, friends, do you get the point that the Lord Jesus Christ is making there? Not only, do you see it? Like, not only is there an expectation from Jesus that we're going to give, because what does he say? When you give. There's an expectation. But how are we supposed to give as Christians? It's supposed to be covert. It's kind of almost like clandestine, like it's an undercover operation. You and I are supposed to give in a sort of secretive, spy-like way. Why? So that our motivation is right. We are to give, not so that we receive recognition from our friends or from our elders or from the people in the church. Why do we give? We give out of gratitude. We give out of worship. We give out of love for the Lord our God. It's to be anonymous. And then the last of these principles, I'll tell you for nothing, I find exciting. I really, really, really do. Do this with me. Would you flick into chapter 9, the second reading? And you look at verse 6 with me. Do you see how the cheerful givers, the heading it gives? And you listen very carefully to this verse here. It's all have a scratch in our heads, I think. Paul says, remember, it's all about money. This is a section about financial giving. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly, now remember he's talking about financial giving, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Then keep going, it gets better. Remember it's about financial giving. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So hang on a second here. What, what, what do you think that means? Like, Are you sitting there thinking, well, that almost sounds as though... If we are generous with our material resources, then God is going to be generous to us. Is that what you're thinking? You know, whoever, what's he say? Whoever sows bountifully also reaps bountifully. Almost as though, you know, if we, if we give, then God is going to be generous. Are you sitting there thinking that's what that means? If so, that is exactly what that means. Exactly what it means that if we are generous with our material and financial resources God will be generous to us and unless you think that that this is an, a verse that we're reading wrong listen to Proverbs the generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered or again I could go here listen to this he who is gracious to a poor man actually lends to the Lord and God will repay him for his good deeds. You see it? We're generous with what we have. God is generous to us. Now, we've got to be very, very, very careful, don't we? Swathes of the church get this wrong. This is not about material reward. This is not Paul saying, well, if you give some money to the church, then you're going to, I know, you're going to have a lovely holiday. You're going to get to go to Florida for three weeks. That's not, this is not about material reward. This is about 
spiritual gain. But do you see why I've said that's exciting? I mean, that's infinitely more exciting than if it was material gain, isn't it? I mean, you see what God is saying to us in his word? Should we give cheerfully and graciously and generously and willingly? What happens? Two things happen. One, we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven and we receive spiritual benefit and spiritual gain here on earth. It is exciting, isn't it? We must give generously, proportionately, anonymously, and expectantly. Okay, so we've seen the problems of giving, we've seen the principles of giving, then the practice of giving, the practice of giving. On a Sunday evening sermon, not that long ago, we've been going through the book of First Samuel, first part of First Samuel, and I, and in one of our sermons recently, we just made mention of the mechanics of a biblical sermon. It's almost a kind of throwaway thing, but the makeup, what makes a sermon biblical? So we looked at, sort of mentioned the components of that, and we said at the time that for a sermon to be biblical, it has to expound the text, it has to point to the Lord Jesus Christ, but there must contain practical application for the children of God. Practical application is key. Would you not concur with me that nowhere, perhaps, is that more important than on a topic like this? I think if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that giving is complicated as Christians, isn't it? Like, How do we give? Where do we give to? (laughs) How much should we give? It's rather complicated stuff. So as we're bringing all of this together, I just want to throw a few ideas at you in terms of practical application. One is this. Christian friend, teach financial giving to the children of this covenant community. And maybe as soon as I say that, you realize why that's so important. Do you buy the thesis of this sermon? This thesis that the generosity of Christians in previous generations has simply not spilled over in our generation. It hasn't. You know, our fathers were oh so gracious setting up missions to the world. And we've been affected by the materialism of this age. And unless that changes, what happens? The children, even here, will learn from us. That they will follow suit. In fact, the brutal truth of it, the danger here, is that things will just get worse for the next generation. So I plead with you to teach these children about giving, to teach them in Sunday school, if you're a Sunday school teacher, and to teach them here in the church, to teach them by example, but to teach them in the home. And I mean practically. Like teach them when it comes to pocket money, and teach them when it comes to their first job, but teach them the theory, the reasoning. Teach them why financial giving is important. Teach them why giving like this exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. 
First practical application is to teach the kids. Second practical application is to commit, Christian friend, very much to praying about your own personal giving. And don't you agree? As a congregation, we must pray about this more than we do. Don't you agree with that? We don't pray about this as we should. I mean, let's pray that our denomination sees a dramatic upturn in finances. Yes? Let's pray for a congregation that we are enabled to do the work that, that God has put on us to do. Yes? Let's pray to God for guidance about what we do with that. Let's pray in repentance of the sin that marks the Christian community. But most of all, most of all, do we not pray Fundamentally, friends, that God will change our hearts. That we will be changed, that we will be given grace, that we will be given cheerfulness, given prudence, wisdom, discernment, that given that generous heart that we need to give. We teach, we pray, and then the third practical application is this, friends, we must act on the basis of this sermon. And I don't know if you've ever been in the position that I have been in previously in a church service like this. It's, it's not comfortable. It's not easy for any of us to talk and to deal with this subject. And I, I remember how I dealt with it when I first came to faith and I was working a full-time job in invest. And I heard a sermon on financial giving. And I was really convicted by it, and I knew that I could see clearly uh, that it was scriptural. And I could see and understand what it is that God wants from his people, this gratitude and generous heart and giving. I could see it, and I went out of that, I went out of that church so convinced and so convicted. Uh, do you know what I did? I did nothing at all. And I just went back into work on Monday and not for years did I do anything practically about it. And I'm urging you not to do the same thing. I'm urging you to act. And if you don't know what to do practically, then speak to somebody. And even today, speak to someone, speak to our wonderful treasurer. Jennifer, who's sitting at the front, speak to the deacons, speak to the elders about what areas of Christian mission across the world are desperately in need of financial support. But don't just leave here and do nothing. Act. Because I'm saying to you, this will be a wonderful blessing to your life. And a wonderful blessing to this congregation if we suddenly adopt a new sacrificial culture of giving a London City Presbyterian Church. And I, I am, I am, I'm going to end with this. In a word, that 
last P, the paradigm or the example of giving, because this is the largest section about giving in all of the New Testament. You know that. This is the biggest swathe of teaching. And right smack bang in the middle, Paul drops a bombshell. Look at it with me. You'll see it in chapter 8 and verse 9. And it is absolutely wonderful. You see, look at verse 9. What does he say? Smart bang in here. He says this. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Christian friend, you see what that is? Do you see what it is? That is your motivation to give. You see what Paul's doing, don't you? He is reminding you, even this morning at London City Presbyterian Church, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. And what is it? If you are not a believer, listen to me. Because everything thus far has not been for you. We don't want your money. Listen to this. What has Christ done for his people, for his church? He was rich. Beyond your wildest imagination, wasn't he in glory? He was wealthy. Beyond anything that we can possibly imagine, there he was in glory in heaven above, surrounded by innumerable attendants. He could have everything at his beck and call in glory. And what did he do? Did he tithe? No. He gave it all up, didn't he? And he voluntarily plunged himself into the unimaginable poverty of his earthly ministry. From those riches into the unimaginable impoverishment of the cross. Think of it. The Son of God eternal tortured. God of God suffering. God of gods in pain. And all for you, Christian friend. All that you might experience forgiveness from sin. And isn't that why we give? We give so that other people around the world might hear of this wonderful Savior. We give so that they might hear of a Savior who, through his own cursing, can cleanse repentant people from shame and guilt and sin. Why do we give? We give for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his praise, his honor and glory. Friends, that is our motivation. We give for Jesus. We give for the gospel of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we do praise you and we thank you for the financial and material resources that we have Uh, We do thank you that we live in such a city as this, that our standard of living is so high. Uh, We thank you, Lord God, for the generosity of our forefathers. And we thank you and we praise you for moving within them. We do thank you and we praise you for those who faithfully give to the work of this congregation and to others. And we rejoice knowing that all things that are good come from you. But we pray, Lord God, that you would move amongst us, that you would grant us repentant hearts, and that you would move us 
to appropriate sacrificial generosity for the glory of the Lord our God. And above all of these things, we praise you for what Christ has done, that he has been humiliated, that he has gone from riches to impoverishment, that we as his people might go from impoverishment of sin to the glory of heaven above. Lord God, we pray that in all of these things, that it would be the Lord Jesus Christ who receives our praise and all of the honor and all of the worship. And we pray in his name. Amen.